0: If you set yourself time, so let's say you give yourself one week to do all the learning you can, and after that one week, you have to take action, I think you'll be more likely to take action. But what ends up happening with a lot of people, I think, is they're constantly in this state of learning because they haven't set strong enough boundaries of their time.
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the everything real estate investing show with Sean Pan. Today we have Shiv Getu. Shiv is an investor in the Bay area and focuses on Airbnb arbitrage. In this episode, Shiv will share her story of how he got started with investing and how he plans to scale his business to the next level. If you're interested in starting your own cash flowing business with rental arbitrage, you need to listen to this episode. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site everythingrei.com. Enjoy. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate investing.
0: Sure. Yeah. My name is Shiv Getu and I am a 24 year old graduate from the University of Southern California. Um, I studied industrial and systems engineering there, and soon after, actually finished May of 2017 and took five months off before I started working, traveling the world. Um, spent three months in Europe, had a great time there with friends. I highly recommend it if anyone's thinking about taking some time off before graduating, or even before going to college. Um, it's good to take some time off and experience the world. But yeah, I kind of fell into real estate. Um, kind of funny. So I. As I said, started off with consulting um, at a at a company doing um, you know Salesforce work, and still am doing that. And um, I got put on this remote project, so I had the flexibility of working from home. And, you know, when you work from home, you still work, but there is a little bit more time because you're not dealing with commuting. You're not dealing with all that kind of stuff. So um, my brain started thinking and I was like, well, how could I start using this extra time? And my family had always been in real estate um, in India. So we a little bit of background. I moved to India when I was 12, grew up in the Bay Area and went to school there at an international school for six years and came back here for college. So I kind of started thinking, like, how could I use this extra time? And I knew I always was interested in real estate. I had some sort of um, exposure to it. And this company called Hubhouse. Uh, I so I, I was basically living, once I graduated, I moved back to San Jose. And my parents kind of have an extension of their house that they used to go back and forth. So I was living there, um, kind of serving as the property manager, making sure they have tenants, making sure all the issues get taken care of. So I got a little bit of exposure there. And when it came to finding a new tenant, I took ownership of that, started doing some research and found a tenant called HubHouse. And they're a company that basically signs a master lease with you and guarantees you rent. And in return, they sublet your place to multiple people. So they look for typically, you know, four or five bedroom houses, they convert um, extra space into bedrooms and and make it like a six bedroom house um, and then just do room for rent. So I didn't know this at the time about the conversion, but you know I signed up with them. Everything went well, and one day I just like saw on my on my driveway there were these massive truckloads of blocks, and these blocks were basically used to create walls to create extra bedrooms. And then I kind of did the math, and I, I went inside the house, and in the house they had like a piece of paper on each room saying how much they were renting it for. And I knew how much, you know, we were, they were paying us. So I quickly noticed that they were making like $2,000 a month for doing not that much work, you know, just being a normal property manager and, and they didn't even own property. So that kind of got me thinking, um, of how I can get into real estate at a, you know, just graduating, not too much money in my bank. Um, how I can kind of get involved with real estate without putting in too much money, um, so that's when we stumbled upon an article by uh, Paul Moore, who's an awesome guy. He wrote about Jay Martin, uh, who basically, I think the title of the article was How to Generate $10,000 a Month in Passive Income. And when my business partner, Kendrick, and I read that, we were just blown away. We were like, okay, wow, this guy is you know dedicating three or four hours a week or month, I think, working. He's hired, outsourced his team, and he's pretty much automated his business and just collecting money. Um, so we were kind of inspired by that. And yeah, that's how we that's how we got started.
1: Nice. That's a great story. All right. First things first, I gotta give you some crap for going to USC. I'm a bruin <laughs> right here, so you know, yeah. totally inferior school over there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just
1: kidding. But by the way, I also want to say you're also you are also being very smart with your free time because a lot of people who are your age in your position, they would use that free time and you know, watch YouTube or just slack off at work. But instead, you actually went out of your way to find some more opportunities so that you could have a better life in the future. So props to you on that.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: I also want to ask you, so you said it was your parents' house that you guys rented out to hub house and then they uh, did the conversion. And right. They did the conversion. Yeah. Okay. And these plastic blocks, these are easily removed, right? It's not like they had to. Exactly. Operate. Yeah. It's
0: not a big deal. Exactly. And that's part of the reason why they didn't even have to take permission from the landlord because they're basically modular walls. You're creating a wall that's non-invasive. So you're just making, you know, a plastic block wall, creating another bedroom. And, you know, it when when their tenancy runs out of time, they, they just take the blocks and leave and no damage is done to our place.
1: What was they renting it for per room? Uh,
0: they were renting it. So I think my house was renting for around $4,800 a month. Uh, that's what they were paying us. And they, each room was different, but I think it totaled to about 6800 or $7,000 a month. So they were collecting a premium of, you know, $2,200 a month.
1: The original was what? Four bedroom house? Oh, four bedroom. Yep. And then they added maybe two more.
0: So they, yeah. So they took the, uh, you know, the, in my house, we have like a formal living room. They made that into a bedroom. They took the formal dining room. They made that into a bedroom and just optimized it. And it, yeah, and that inspired me and just made me think like, okay, like you can be creative in real estate, you can jump into real estate without actually having, you know, massive amounts of cash.
1: Right. So it's about $1,100 a month per bedroom after it's been converted. I would say so. Yeah. And these people are chill. Like, does isn't it weird living with other people like that? No, they're pretty One of the reasons why I actually
0: leaned towards them was because, you know, I'm, I'm in South San Jose. And I don't know, for those of you who know the Bay Area, like, San Francisco is typically where um, everything is exciting as a younger person. Um, I had the choice to go to San Francisco, but I kind of decided not to because I knew I wanted to save money. I've always been someone who is very forward thinking. So I made the conscious decision to, you know, save money on rent, move away f- for a little bit, be away from all the social scenes. So I think having, you know, the, typically their sell is, they they bring in a lot of young working professionals, people in their twenties. So, the people right now are actually relatively cool. Um, you know, their, their whole model hub house is they want to create community. So they want to help people who are relocating to a new city and um, find, you know, quickly get amalgamated within the culture and be comfortable. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're long story short. Yeah, they're cool. And I'm, and I'm fine with it because essentially the, ha- the way it works, it's kind of confusing. My parents have a main house. And then they built an extension. So there's actually two separate entrances. So we're not sharing a house or anything like that.
1: Got it. So it's this extension house. or Are you guys living in the extension house? Um, my parents still live in India. So I'm just living in the extension house. Yep. Got it. And so the main house is being rented out by all these different people. Exactly. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, let's not talk about hub house too much because that's actually not your profession, right? You're doing the Airbnb arbitrage model. So... So after you got inspired by Jay Martin's article, what did you guys do next?
0: Yeah. So we, we got inspired by his article. We, uh, I think in the article they mentioned someone by the name of Al Williamson.
1: Uh, he was kind of
0: the the guy who started this whole idea, maybe not started it, but spearheaded a community around it and got people together and started, um, you know, talking more and more about this concept of rental arbitrage. Um, and maybe I'll just go over that for a second. So rental arbitrage and furnished rental arbitrage is typically where you rent an apartment or a house, you furnish it, and then you sublease it to, um, you know, anyone you want. It could be vacation rental travelers. It could be corporate rental travelers. And the whole profit margin, the whole business model is arbitrage, taking money on top of what you're already paying. So, you know, in in a case example, if we're paying $2,500 a month, um, our goal would be to make more than that because then we keep the profit.
1: Okay. So then you found Al Williamson and then
0: what happened? So we found Al Williamson and we started talking to a lot of people in the Facebook group, you know, just, I think Kendrick and I are both people who are, are, are hard workers and we're willing to put in the effort and time it takes and make the sacrifices. So we just started spending, you know, a few weeks, months in the beginning, just learning, 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 burning the midnight oil, Um, talking to people, gathering information. And um, I think within a few weeks or a few months, we had registered an LLC, um, got a bank account going and um, picked up our first property.
1: Okay. So did you take Al's course? Yeah. So we took Al's course. Yep. Got it. And how did you know Kendrick? How did you know your partner?
0: Yeah. So Kendrick uh, is a friend of mine from USC. So we met in math class. Um, Kind of funny, but we met in, in a math class, I think sophomore year. And he's been one of my closest friends um, since. And I, yeah, when I started just learning about real estate, I thought it, I didn't want to do it alone. So I just gave him a call and I was like, um, hey, Kendrick, like I'm thinking about getting involved in real estate. What do you think? And he's he's a guy who's always like, yes, I'm down. So he was like, literally, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. And he was actually working in Boston at the time or sorry, he was in Boston for a little bit at the time, yeah, working. And he um, basically just made the move and was like, okay, like, you know, I'm just going to do this. And he just like moved from Boston, came to San Jose, like found a job with a uh, asset manager who owns about a thousand units Um, more on that later, but he owns a thousand apartments um, in the Bay area and just started working for him and, and, you know, decided to invest a lot of his time in real estate.
1: That's what's up. Yeah. So, Tell me about your first deal. How did you get someone to agree to rent out their unit to a bunch of 24 year olds who have never done this before? Yeah. So yeah, so there's two approaches
0: here, right? One approach is you play the numbers game. So you reach out to as many landlords as you can. You do the pitch um, and you know, the typical Brandon Turner funnel, except you're not buying, you're just trying to rent and get them to agree to for you to sub rent. The other The other method is building relationships with people that own real estate and then basically pitching them the idea. Um, It it, it seems similar, but I think from where I'm approaching it is instead of trying to find as many one-off landlords as you can, try to build a relationship, or at least this was our approach, build relationships with landlords who own a lot of units build trust with them and then see if they buy into your business model, because that way you're getting access to, you know, in this case, hundreds of units to rental arbitrage rather than just, uh, you know, just one off landlords.
1: Right. So how did you do that?
0: Yeah. So we, um, I just tapped into my network. I reached out, my parents were from the Bay area. So they, they worked here for a number of years and I just tapped, tapped my network. I reached out to everyone I knew reach out to my parents. Um, You know, I asked them to connect me to people they knew who did real estate. I asked those guys to connect me to people who did real estate and just on and on. I just reached out to as many people as I can. And I built a relationship with um, a landlord, as I said, owns about a thousand units here, runs it kind of like a mom and pop shop, which is ironic, Um, doesn't have a formal property management layer company and just built a relationship with them over time. you know, made sure that I was not wasting his time. We we connected on a lot of levels and he kind of began to like me. He was one of my dad's friends. And um, I think the way we pictured this whole thing is I think trust is really important for us when building a business. And also I think for a lot of people. So the way we saw this was how can we build trust with this landlord so that he's willing to buy into our business model. And, you know, at the time I mentioned, Kendrick was working in Boston. He was working for his dad's engineering company. So he had a little bit more flexibility. I was kind of working, you know, at at a formal company and didn't have as much latitude to just swing back in if I left my job. And, um, you know, thankfully enough, Kendrick was willing to and, um, and able to as well. So he just left his job. We saw that this landlord, was actually since he was kind of running it like a mom and pop shop, there were some gaps in his business. They were mismanaging it, um, you know. Within eight years, it went from being, I, I want to say, like a B plus property or an A minus property to like a B minus C plus because it was just mismanaged. They kind of a little bit older landlords. They didn't spend the time necessary, and we saw that there were a lot of gaps in this business. So we went in and we said, "Hey, listen, like you know, we we see that there are a lot of things that." Uh, could be changed here. And um, we basically sent him a, a presentation of our thoughts and what we thought could be done. And he called us and we spoke to him and he's like, you know, the elephant in the room here is um, who, who's going to pay for this. Like, are are you guys proposing that you want to work for us? And we said, no, we actually just wanted to do it for free. And he was kind of taken aback by this because he was like, I think maybe because he was a little bit older, he, he wasn't exposed to the abundance mindset or I don't know. or well, Maybe generally people would be kind of taken aback by this. So we, we just said, you know, we're willing to do it for free. We just want to learn as much as you can and as, as much as we can and see how we can help you out. And I think he he was kind of taken aback and basically said, you know what, let me just hire one of you guys. So he hired my friend. My friend moved within five days, Kendrick, and started working for him and started building this trust and and showing him that he can really help his company grow. And when we established this trust, it basically opened a huge gateway into all this opportunity. And when we pitched him our idea of trying, trying out, um, you know, this furnished rental idea, he said, yeah, go for it.
1: That's that's an amazing story and way to take action. Definitely props to you guys. Yeah. So then after that happened, he basically said, look, I have a vacant unit. You guys can take over this one. Let's try it out see how it works.
0: Yeah, exactly. So he basically said, since I think we established a good amount of trust with him, he basically said, um, you know what? I know you guys are young. I." And I want, I want to help you guys. Um, So why don't I give you one unit and why don't I put you guys on a month to month, which was huge. We didn't have the fear of like signing a a year long lease or anything like that. Um, Put us on a month to month and, and we basically signed a lease with him, gave the security deposit as a normal landlord and started furnishing. Um, And I mean, anyone who's in this business understands that it's very seasonal, right? So Typically in the summer is right now is peak season, right? We're seeing large amounts of revenue, but in the winter, it starts to slow down. So we started, I think in December, um, which is the slowest month of all. And um, yeah, we furnished, furnished a uh, unit and actually we did have a hiccup before that. So as I mentioned, some of his properties are a little bit older. So the first property that he was willing to let us try out on was a um, one of their more rundown ones. And, you know, I got all excited. I was like, let's do this. I, I hadn't seen the property. So I, I walked in there, started talking to the property manager, kind of noticed that the building was a little bit rundown and there was kind of, you know, um, it didn't really seem like the ideal place to do vacation rentals or corporate travels. And but I just said, you know, let's just go, go with it and see what happens. So I think to get the whole experience, I wanted, you know, we were really eager. So I was like, okay, let me just sleep in this vacant apartment and see how the experience is. And obviously I did plan ahead. So I didn't bring any um, pillows or or mattresses or anything. So I was just literally sleeping on the ground. Um, And within a few minutes of being in that apartment, I started noticing a lot of cockroaches. Oh God. And bugs and spiders. And like, it was, the the building was old. The, 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 The drawers smelled like, and I was just sleeping on the ground here. I was like, oh, well, like, you know, what did I just get myself into? Like, there's no way we can sign this lease. Um, so I spent the night there. I don't know if cockroaches were calling all over me, but, um, woke up the next morning and basically talked to the property manager. I said, you know, this can't work. Like, there's no way we can get corporate rental travelers or vacation rental travelers in a place that has an insect problem. And thankfully they were understanding. Um, but that was kind of the one hiccup. And I remember after that experience, I was like, oh my God, this is like, we're done. Like we should just stop. And, and for a second, I was like, what do you mean? Like, after listening to all these podcasts and hearing all these inspiring stories, there's no one that goes through success, quote unquote success, or an experience that they they enjoy without some bumps in the road. So I, I just said, like, I, I, you know, I kept telling myself, like, each bump just makes you progress further. Um, it's just a step towards, you know, the top. So. We shook that off, continued, um, and we started looking for one of his other properties.
1: Yeah, going to the top one cockroach bite at a time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so then once you decided to rent one of his properties, how much was the startup costs and how long did it take for you to actually create a furnished rental?
0: Yeah, so um, so we first started off with... Um, to a two-bedroom, so the startup cost for that was about uh, I want to say. So it, it costed. So let's say for the for the security deposit, you know that I think in this case it was about six hundred and fifty dollars in rent, or six hundred fifty dollars total. Yeah, pretty low. Wait, security. what? Yep. <laughs> okay. I think, yeah, that's the way it just worked in their in their building. So six hundred fifty dollars um, security deposit. One month's rent, which I think was around three thousand, so that's thirty six fifty. And I think furnishings costed around four thousand dollars. So what is that? Seventy six fifty startup cost. Let's just say eight thousand. Um, around eight thousand dollars to start start this unit. And how long did it take to furnish? Yeah, that's a good question because in the beginning we were doing everything ourselves. Um, you know, ordering and and uh, assembling and. You know, throwing away the packages and going to Ikea and going to, you know, Goodwill and doing all these runs and we would just pull all nighters and it was kind of fun in the beginning, um, you know, after one unit or two units, but after the point in time, it just got exhausting. But I would say it took about maybe four days or five days to furnish completely that's not too
1: bad that's not too bad five days and plus you're learning so much of time exactly yeah
0: i mean we spent you know day and night pretty much uh pretty much working on the place but yeah it didn't it didn't take too long um but then we realized that four and five four or five days is a long time so now we we pretty much do it in you know 24 to 48 hours
1: wow and who's your designer
0: uh me me and me no. <laughs> yeah, the eye. Kendrick and I. Kendrick and I. Um, kind of just. We started looking at other furniture websites and just looking online and trying to build our eye towards furniture. Um, taking inspiration from my my parents' house and you know my family's house, my relatives' house, and everything like that. But we don't have a formal designer.
1: Cool. And so, what is the kind of spread you're looking to make per unit you guys acquire?
0: Yeah. So now we're kind of at a point where we are a little bit more picky with our units um, initially we were kind of hoping for around $500 per month annualized so i think you know as i mentioned it's very seasonal right so we were hoping for yeah 3 3 to 500 but right now we i think you know iterating this process over and over again we've kind of understood what works best and what doesn't for our area so we're we're looking to make at least $1000 a month on each property and that's like net 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 is our goal yeah maybe eight yeah eight fifty to a thousand dollars
1: sounds good since then have you worked with other landlords to rent out their property or has it always been that same guy that you've been renting his units
0: no we we actually just used him as a jump start so we have i think only four or five properties with him and i think right now we have a total of 10 um we started in december of 2018 so it's been six months um And yeah, we, I think we have four or five with them. And then, yeah, the the rest of the five we have, um,
1: we have it with other landlords. Mm -hmm. What is your ideal property that you're trying to acquire? Like bedroom bath size and whatnot. Yeah, that's a good question. So we
0: typically look for, at least the way it works in our area, we typically look for um, either one bedroom. So you know how I mentioned earlier that, that company HubHouse did this conversion. That kind of inspired us to do a little bit of conversion ourselves. So we typically look for bigger one bedrooms that have the potential to be converted or two bedrooms and one bath. Um, We found that we originally started with one bedrooms and we found that the the profit margin um, just wasn't strong enough to make sense. Um, And I think our theory behind that is... When you rent a one-bedroom in the Bay Area, let's just throw out some numbers for a numerical example, right? If we're renting a one-bedroom for $2,500, um, you can typically rent a two-bedroom for maybe $3,000, right? But the value of a one-bedroom um, at $2,500 is far inferior to the value of a two-bedroom at $3,000. Because if you're only paying $500 more, the revenue that you can generate with that extra bedroom far exceeds $500. And I think that's just because more beds equals more heads equals more people equals better value, right? So we typically have, you know, two bedroom places, and we we have often two beds in each bedroom. So, you know, that's four beds plus the pullout couch, which is turns into another bed. So in some of our two bedrooms, we have upwards of five beds housing six people. So if you look at that, right, like if we're paying, you know, $3,000, that's like $100 a month for us. I'm sure we can get, and we have been, getting people who are willing to pay more than $100 a day for, for five, six people, right? That's $20 a person if you work out the math. So um, that's kind of the way we thought about it is I think two bedrooms is where we're pretty comfortable.
1: Cool. And do you have any like preferred locations you like to invest in?
0: Yeah, we, uh, we like the, uh, San Bruno which is um, near the airport, near the San Francisco airport. So it's about five or 10 minutes away. So we get a lot of travelers looking to, um, to stay there just before their flights. And um, yeah, and Redwood City is really good for corporate rentals. So we do corporate rentals and vacation rentals. So when I say corporate rentals, that basically means any stay that's greater than 30 days. Vacation rentals is typically, you know, one to 29 days. Um, so we do both. We found that Redwood City works really well for corporate because uh, you know there's just more and more companies um, coming to that area. But uh, vacation rentals right now we're we're working in San Bruno.
1: I remember when I had Al Williamson on my show. He actually said that he does extended stay rentals. So there are corporate type people, not just traveling nurses, right? People on per diem. Do you guys have a specialty or a special market you're trying to target?
0: We don't. We don't target anyone. Particular, so we don't look specifically for traveling nurses. Actually, sometimes we look. Um, we we avoid certain groups, right? Like we found in our experience that traveling nurses are a little bit more price sensitive. Um, so we tend to not market uh, specifically towards them. But I think our strategy right now is we market on sites that have the most eyeballs. One one in particular, right, which is Airbnb. So Airbnb, at least in the Bay Area. Um, you know, 90 plus percent of bookings come from that one site. So, you know, just using the Pareto principle, right? It it just makes logical sense to direct all your marketing and um, marketing efforts towards that one site.
1: Airbnb is a great website, and I use it every time I go traveling. Yeah, it is. I know. So by using Airbnb, are you ever concerned about if Airbnb changes their regulations or if, I mean, the city itself, right? The city itself can really... uh, change something and then that could ruin your business model.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No. And and actually that's kind of the way we've made ourselves a little bit more anti-fragile is typically when the cities change regulations, they change it so that there's no stays that are less than 30 days. So they allow stays that are greater than 30 days. The way we built our business so far is we're choosing areas that still allow Airbnb, but also have a great potential for corporate rentals. So if anything happens, we can just pivot from Airbnb vacation rentals to you know corporate rental stay. So the the reason why we I mean so far in our experience we've seen that vacation rentals is a little bit more profitable. Um, We're also willing to do the legwork. Um, Actually, we don't really do the legwork now. We've hired a team and built built out all the systems. But um, you know we're, we're willing to. It's the way we see it is you know vacation rentals is like the gold rush, right? Like. Eventually, that's going to time out. And, you know, the profit margins we're seeing is is really strong. So we're, we're trying to milk that system till the end. And when, when their regulations do come into play in certain areas, we'll just pivot to corporate rentals, which is allowed by almost every municipality in the country.
1: That's right. That's right. And who is currently managing your properties? Um, yeah,
0: that's so, as I mentioned, I we both have full-time jobs. Um, and we have employees. So we have... Uh, an employee in the Philippines who's working for us doing guest communications. We have her at forty hours a week. We're actually in the process of hiring another person um, to kind of do guest communications and build out our marketing efforts. And we have a maintenance guy that helps us set up the units and attend to maintenance issues. And and of course we have our cleaning team that um, that takes care of all the turns. So I mean, right now, like I I almost like am not really participating in any of the operations it's just kind of running on its own because of the systems we built
1: that's the dream i mean you read that article about jay martin about a year ago and now here a year later you're almost there yeah no we read it uh, almost yeah like eight seven eight months ago yeah no
0: we've i mean it's it's interesting i think the way we think about this whole thing is not how many units we have um, and how we should operate based on how many units we have but whether our operational capability can withstand operating on a thousand units, right? So every time I, I, I think about a task or, or a process, right? I, I, I think to myself, will this task or process be able to uh, operate if we had a thousand units, right? So that, that, and when you think like that, you really understand the importance of systems thinking where each, thing, each task you do is scalable, right? So that's our our goal is to basically build out this business so that it'll operate the same way on a thousand units than, it, than just one unit.
1: There's a lot of pros doing Airbnb arbitrage. What are some of the cons to your strategy? Yeah, no good question. I mean, the, one of the biggest cons
0: is that you don't own the asset, obviously, right? Like one of the enticing things about real estate is that you can buy something for 20% down, oftentimes less You know, if you're doing an FHA and sit on it for 30 years and own the entire asset outright, like for our, our business model, we're not able to do that because we don't own the property, but that doesn't mean we can't eventually own the property and do our business on top of it as a layer. Um, That's, that's one con. Um, The second con is obviously it's definitely way more active compared to real estate, um, long term rental investing. But again, like it, everything is systems, right? If you can build a system, you can make it less, you know, less, it'll still be active in an absolute sense, but relative to your time, it's, it won't be that active.
1: So you've been doing this for about six months now, right? Since December of 2018. And I'm sure you've learned a lot throughout the process. What are some things that you know now that you wish you knew back then? It's funny, right? Because I'm very analytical as a person, and I tend
0: to get stuck into analysis paralysis, right? And I think it's important to remember that there's more value sometimes in growing fast rather than always growing as efficiently as possible. And I don't want to scare people off, but what I mean by that is you can get stuck in analysis paralysis. You can try to make things as optimal as possible, make it as efficient as possible before you get started, but if you can make micro movement and fail in a micro way, and you're constantly making these iterations in a micro fashion, you're going to grow a lot more intelligently. You're going to learn a lot more throughout the process um, if, if you do that. And I think that's something that we we did end up doing. But I think in the beginning, there was a lot of push. And I think, that, you know, thanks to Kendrick, like Kendrick is, I'm a little bit more analytical and I think things over. He's kind of like, let's let's do it. So I think we, we kind of work well together because he'll be saying, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's take a minute and let's just think about the ramifications of our decisions. So we kind of inch our way along, like tug and war, going back and forth, back and forth, and we, we move slowly. So I think my one advice would be um, sometimes j- just make, mi- make, make micro decisions and it's okay to have micro failures.
1: Make micro decisions, it's okay to have micro failures. Okay. I like that. What are some actionable steps that new investors can take so that they can do what you do in the very near future? So there's this law called Parkinson's law,
0: right? Parkinson's law, it states that work expands with the amount of time present for the task, right? So let's say, and and yeah, you may lose me for a second, but if you set yourself time, so let's say you give yourself one week to do all the learning you can, And after that one week, you have to take action. I think you'll be more likely to take action. But what ends up happening with a lot of people, I think, is they're constantly in this state of learning because they haven't set strong enough boundaries of their time. So I think, you know, if I'm just thinking about this right now, I think what I would say is set a time, set set some boundary in in which you want to learn. So maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's three weeks. Um, Set that time to learn. And once that time expires... Um, reach out. Maybe you could, yeah, reach out to Al Williamson. Al Williamson has the course and get into a group of community of people who are doing something like this, right? Because one of the biggest things for new investors and people just getting started is they're nervous to take the first step, right? But the more people you talk to, um, but be careful, you don't want to talk to too many people and just never take action. So more people you talk to, the more they'll kind of encourage you to just take action. So almost, almost take action and think about it But don't overthink it to the degree that you're just paralyzed.
1: Great. Is there any final words that you have to say before we end the show today?
0: People are the most important thing here. Like people always say your network is your net worth. But, you know, that could be more true. So just I would encourage people to just reach out as much as you can. Talk to people, learn from them, ask them questions and see if those people that you talk to can connect you to other people. Um, That's kind of the way we did it, right? We we got connected to someone, we spoke to them, and asked them if they can connect us to anyone else, and just continue that branch. Learn as much as you can, and um, yeah, take action.
1: Solid advice. So, how can people get in contact with you?
0: Yeah, so you can reach me um, on my email. So it's Shiv S H I V at A T M A N Ventures V E N T U R E S dot com. Um, and yeah, if you want to reach out to my business partner as well, Kendrick, it's K E N D R I C K at A T M A N Ventures.com.
1: What does that stand for?
0: Atman is kind of the, it's, it's basically a life force in uh, Hinduism. So yeah, the prince nice. of life. Yeah.
1: Nice name. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Shiv, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for telling us all about a hybrid vacation and corporate rentals. You gave us a lot of great information. So I hope people can listen to what you have to say and just realize, look, you only started this six months ago and you've already achieved massive success. So if they really want it, they can go grab it themselves as well. Exactly. Yeah. No, just, just don't have any preconceived notions and just take action. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for your time. I'll see you later. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. If you want to see results, you need to take action. Shiv and his partner are young adults who decided on creating alternative streams of income and made it happen. Instead of reaching out to many owners, find a single owner who has many properties and nurture a relationship with that owner. Renting a two bedroom unit is better than a one bedroom because the value of the other room is a lot higher than the extra $500 or so that you're paying for the extra room. Rental arbitrage is also a great way to earn more cash flow but one of the cons is that you don't own the asset, so you don't get the benefits of appreciation, debt pay down, or tax benefits. I hope you all learned a lot in today's episode. You can find the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Thanks, and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N r-e-a-l-t-y at gmail.com Thanks and have a great day.